You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. Today, part one of a three-part look at the career of legendary writing partners Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Jones and Schmidt are best known for their amazing shows, The Fantastics, I Do, I Do, and 110 in the Shade. This program was originally broadcast in 1980 in celebration of the 20th anniversary of The Fantastics. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was a look gone to something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. Good offers to who want new better words now Good afternoon and welcome to Anything Goes. I'm your host, Paul Lazarus. village. Twenty years later, the Fantastics is still going strong. Some say that many of the current performers are even better than the originals. My guests today on Anything Goes are composer Harvey Schmidt and author Tom Jones, creators of the Fantastics and many other musicals including I Do I Do, Celebration, and 110 in the Shade. For the next hour and a half, you'll be hearing excerpts from a pre-recorded interview with the writers portions of an evening with Jones and Schmidt at the 92nd Street Y. We'll be playing many well-known and rare songs from Jones and Schmidt musicals, including a few selections recorded especially for this program by the writers themselves. Join us as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Fantastics with composer Harvey Schmidt and author Tom Jones.
explore you for for a bit and, and get some of the early backgrounds on you because I, I find that interesting. Harvey, where did you grow up, first of all? Well, my father was a Methodist minister in Texas, and Methodist ministers in Texas moved constantly. So we moved every couple of years, and I always say I've lived in every town in Texas that had a population under 500. I used to wish we could move to a town that had a movie theater in it so I could go to the movies. <laughs> what was your uh, early musical background? When well, did that get started? I, I had none, actually, except uh, all my relatives in Texas are German farmers, and they're very musical in that they all love to sing, and a lot of them play instruments and things. But it, it was nearly all self-taught because at the time they were growing up on the farm, they, that's the way they did it. And sometimes their church uh, would have musicians in it. So a lot of the singing came out of the church, a German Methodist church. Uh -huh. So they were all natively interested in music. But as I was saying, I lived primarily in rural towns and uh, growing up during the late 30s and 40s, the only contact with the outside world really was radio and movies, which were two terribly strong influences on my life. And I think young people today can't perceive that. You cannot imagine a world without television, for instance. Right. Movies are very different than uh, television. And they fed you dreams. They weren't that available, for one thing. That's right. And then on top of that, my parents were very strict about how often we could see films. And it wasn't until I got my paper out when I was 10 that I started having enough money I would actually sneak off with friends to see more movies. I remember Without the first wicked friends. movie I ever saw was Lady Be Good with Ann Southern and Robert Young because a little friend of mine lived in a trailer house next door. Took, we stole off into the night and saw it. <laughs> and it was one of the first uh, musical films I saw too and it left its mark on me. <laughs> when did you actually first hit a piano? Well, I, I had always played uh, by ear. Uh -huh. And my mother, ironically, taught uh, music uh, uh -huh. to help out with the money. And she played quite well. She had studied uh, voice and piano in college. But I was a real wild, restless child. And uh, by the time she started trying to teach me at age six, I would instantly play whatever I heard by ear. I would not learn the notes. And then I'd just run away. And uh, they couldn't keep up with me. So she finally just gave up on it. And I just continued playing by ear. And uh, when I was a teenager, I was very interested in symphonic music because those were the days of the NBC Symphony and the New York Philharmonic, which were broadcast on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care anything about uh, show music or popular music, except musical films I sort of liked. But uh, it was really at college when uh, the first LP started coming out. That's 48, 49, Kiss Me Kate, South Pacific. Those were just just like opened the doors to me. And one of the very early ones was on the town, too. Uh -huh. And they, they were, I couldn't believe, suddenly there was this whole other world of exciting music. And uh, so I sort of lost interest at the time in uh, symphonic and classical music, which had been my big love until then. And then I just started going berserk over show music. And I started reading books about it and getting more and more into the history of it in the past. Uh -huh. It was like the, a whole new world opening up, suddenly through LPs. So uh, basically you, your training was, was self-taught. Yes, of. and I never intended to have a career in music, or I would have certainly studied it. I was lucky enough at the University of Texas to meet Tom, and I was an art major there, and Tom was a drama major. But he was president of an organization called the Curtain Club, which for people who had an interest in drama but were not majoring in it, it gave them, gave them a chance to do little weekly shows and things. So I joined that. And then because I played the piano, it was the only reason they took me in. They needed a piano player. Yeah, you always need piano players. Yeah. So uh, I started playing for shows, and uh, 
then uh, I got to know Tom there, and then we started riding together. But that was an in incredibly important thing for me also, because in order to play for these weekly shows, prior to that time, I only really played in the key of C. And uh -huh. all these people would get records of things from New York, and they'd say, I want to do this on next Thursday, you know, work it up for me. And I was too terrified to tell them that I couldn't play in that key, and I would take it over the studio and play it over and over again. I would learn how to play in this other, these other keys. Uh -huh. So it was like a tremendous, in a few months, I got to where I could play in a lot of keys, which I hadn't been able to prior to that. That's Harvey invented modulation on his own. Yes, I thought I'd invented that. <laughs> I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know it was one of the basics of music. I'm 16 years old, and every day something happens to me. Oh. 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 I hug myself till my arms turn blue, and then I close my eyes and I cry and cry till the tears come down and I can taste them. I love to taste my tears. I am special. I am special. Please, God, please, don't let me be normal. I'd like to swim in a clear blue stream where the water is icy cold. Then go to town in a golden gown and have my fortune told. Just once. Just once before I'm old, I'd like to be not evil, but a little worldly wise. To be the kind of girl designed to be kissed upon the eyes. I'd like to dance till two o'clock, or sometimes dance till dawn. Or if the band could stand it, just go. Gardner from the original cast recording of The Fantastics, performing a song entitled Much More. You're listening to Anything Goes, today's program in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the longest-running off-Broadway show in history, The Fantastics. Back to a pre-recorded interview with the creators of The Fantastics, Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Tom, can we, can we go back early for you? I, I'm also from Texas. Harvey and I are from different although Harvey's family traveled around Texas and so forth, uh, they were more in the central and the eastern part, and uh, I was always in the western part of the state, which is a different world, really. But um, I wanted to 
actually I wanted to be a, an actor. I, I say that. Really, the truth of the matter is I wanted to be anything other than what I was, which meant to be an, an actor. actor. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I became convinced. I li lived in also small towns, not as small as Harvey's. I mean, we had two movie theaters. I went to Tomstown once, and I was stunned by the size of it. 5,000 people. It was the county seat. I don't usually think of myself as a lyricist, exactly. Uh, I think of myself as a theater person. I started off quite a few years ago uh, wanting to be an actor, and I went to college and studied acting, but I was a terrible actor, I really was, because um, I wasn't a bad showman necessarily, but I was a really bad actor because I never wanted to look at the other actors. I always wanted to look at the audience. And my whole thing was I wanted to get applause when I went off stage. That was my whole technique of acting. And uh, my, my motto as an actor was, the show must not go on. And uh, I had to stop it. And um, combined with that difficult thing was another childish manifestation, which was that when I get nervous, which you'll notice it in the course of the evening, I sort of drop out of a lyric. It's because I start belching and I can't stop. And, uh, and uh, there weren't too many parts written for belchers that that I could find. I mean, of course, in my limited place where I went to school, there may have been a bigger range than I knew. But anyway, I, I, I moved on out of acting, thank goodness, because I got awfully nervous and, and became a director. And I studied directing at the University of Texas and got a couple of college degrees in directing. And um, somewhere along the line, I did a few lyrics for college shows, you know how you do. And the first one I did, I was 17 years old, and I wrote a song called, Out of the Night Comes My Lament of Sorrow. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what so sorrowful is unless you're 17, you know, really, do you? And it wasn't too original, I'll have to admit that. But we had a fantastic piece of staging that was very original. We had a girl sing it by a lamppost. And uh, we, thought, we thought that was some kind of revolutionary breakthrough. And uh, I worked with several people, turning out other terrible songs like that. And then at some point I encountered Harvey and uh, began to write songs and began to discover uh, the real excitement of it. A Holy Man in the New Yorker, a parable with music. As unlikely as it may seem, there once was a holy man residing in New York. He lived on a street corner by an empty Gristini's packing case. His hair was long, his eyes were wild, his clothes were made of various old castaway flower sacks. He used to stand on his packing case and shout out at the world. Look up, look up, said the holy man with a fervent gleam in his eye. Look up, look up, said the holy man. If you look up, you can see the sky. Of course, nobody believed him. He said other things, too. Some days he said, look down, look down, for beneath the ground, underneath that pavement there, lies a burning earth that is giving birth to flowers everywhere. Somebody should care. I say they should care. Somebody should care, somebody should care, somebody should care, must care, somebody should care. People laughed. They knew that beneath that pavement were the workers from Con Edison. The holy man was very discouraged. And then one day a curious thing took place. 
As the holy man was getting down off his Gristides box, he collided with a New Yorker. Said the New Yorker, and the holy man said, Look up, look up, above us is the sky. You're a crazy nut, the New Yorker said. And the holy man said, Try. Well, the New Yorker was skeptical, but his curiosity was aroused. He looked up a little bit, and he saw three pigeons wheeling easily in the air. It's a trick, said the New Yorker, but his pulse was beating fast. Look higher, said the holy man. The New Yorker raised his eyes. Momentarily, they were blinded by the brilliant sun reflecting off the lever building. My God, said the New Yorker, and he blinked his eyes with joy. Look higher, said the holy man, for this was a dream come true. Higher, still higher, screamed the holy man. The whole thing's up to you. And the New Yorker, ready to dare it, looked straight up and saw the sky. He saw two clouds like angels' wings as they drifted slowly by. He saw the blue of the heaven through the burning tears in his eyes. Son of a bitch, the New Yorker yelled. God bless you, came the holy man's reply. And now they were both of them weeping from the mysterious joy of life. All of them clouds, the New Yorker cried, just wait till I tell my wife. Well, he thanked the holy man, he kissed the holy man, he shook the holy man's hand. Yes, he laughed with the holy man, he wept with the holy man, he yelled with the holy man grand. They were tears that blurred his vision, making rainbows in his eyes. As he took his leave from the holy man, he looked straight up at the skies. As he stepped down off the curbstone, his eyes were seen to flash. Then someone cried, my God, look out, there's a taxi, wait. And then there came the crash. The crowd gathered quickly. And the reporters too. And the police to make their report. As they all of them stood there gaping at the accident, the holy man seemed to sigh. Then he mounted his box from Gristides and addressed the large crowd thus. Look up, look up, said the holy man with a fervent gleam in his eye. Look up, look up, begged the holy man. If you look up, you can see the sky. From the Julius Monk Review, Demi Dozen, Jerry Matthews performed Harvey Schmidt and Tom Jones' parable with music, The Holy Man and the New Yorker. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, sometimes if you write a song and you're very, very lucky, it may not seem to date. 
Years can go by, decades, even your own lifetime, and the song will seem as fresh and as new as the very first day you wrote it. On the other hand, <laughs> there are other songs that are more like blue cheese. They, they tend to date very, very rapidly, indeed. And that's particularly true in the review field, where for some reason, topicality is thought to be horribly amusing. And uh, Harvey and I served time in the review field, working for Julius Monk at the upstairs, downstairs, and the downstairs, upstairs, and for Ben Bagley in the shoestring reviews. Actually, I may joke about it, but it was a wonderful training ground for us and for other lyricists and composers of our time when they had these reviews and you could come and actually have a chance to get your work done in front of an audience. Well, in 1958, in a show called Demi Dozen, produced by Julius Monk, we wrote a song that was so timely that within six months of the time it was written, it was already a museum piece. <laughs> and uh, we'd like to do it for you now. Ironically, uh, this song is probably the most obscure that we ever wrote, but it, it went on to become something like our own trademark, as fate would have it. Don't bury me on Broadway, boys. The bond sign spoils the view. When I am dust, erect my bust on 2nd Avenue. Just lay me by the Phoenix, that's good enough for me. Or if you're able to find it by the theater dilly, just put me on the rooftop or by the cherry lane. And instead of a dirge, I would like to urge that you sing this small refrain. Everybody calls me Mr. Off-Broadway, although they know that's really not my name. Still, everybody calls me Mr. Off-Broadway, cause it was many blocks off Broadway where I got my fame. I played in every kind of house and every kind of hall. I once played Cinderella in an empty shower stall. The stage was kind of slippery, but I mean we had a ball off-Broadway melody. Regards to old Off-Broadway, remember me to Sheridan Square. Tell all the gang at Yonhoo's Auditorium that I will soon be there. Oh, everybody calls me Mr. Off-Broadway. Yes, everybody shouts it when we meet. Although nobody knows me on the Great White Way, still I'm very well respected south of 14th Street. Over there, over there, I mean the circle in the square. I played the Iceman Cometh there for nearly a year. I never made much money, but I drank a lot of beer. That's why everybody calls me Mr. Off-Broadway, Off-Broadway. Gosh, when I think of all those shows, it may not be modest, but I suppose if I listed each one of my credits name by name, it would read like an off-Broadway Hall of Fame. 
the trial of Dmitry Karamanzov. Crazy. And Sandhog, you all remember Sandhog at the Phoenix? It was a new concept in musicals all about Sandhogs, don't you know? <laughs> the whole thing took place under the East River. Then there was Ordet and Ardell and Clemembard and oh hell, all of them Frenchmans, all of them Frenchmans. And Mandragola by Machiavelli. Now that was kind of cute, all about this girl they get with child by a mandrake root. It's kind of special, I'll admit that. Then Pale Rider, Pale Horse, I played in that, the front end, of course. Then a play by Ionesco, all done in esoteric rhyme. Till Atkinson reviewed it, the show was doing fine. But after the notices came out, I lost my job through the New York Times. And that's why everybody calls me Mr. Harvey Schmidt at the piano with Tom Jones performing Mr. Off-Broadway, a song they wrote in 1958 for the Julius Monk review Demi Dozen. You're listening to Anything Goes. I'm Paul Lazarus, and my guests today are composer Harvey Schmidt and lyric and book writer Tom Jones, here to help celebrate the 20th anniversary of their long-running off-Broadway show, The Fantastics. You've been together for over 25 years, uh, by my reckoning. But who's counting? But who's counting? For a long time. You've been together for a very long time. And I was just curious, uh, have you ever had moments when you wanted to split up and you had big fights and uh, th this was the end? Or Do you ever go through periods? Because any, any kind of relationship that you've developed, a marriage per se, really, uh, in a writing marriage, uh, is, is a tenuous one, isn't it? Uh, oh, it, it is just exactly like a marriage, absolutely, with the same uh, problem. With one or two <laughs> things that are different, <laughs> well, actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let me clarify uh, that yeah. also. <laughs> But, but uh, God knows the strains are like a marriage. They really are, you know, because it's pure and simple, a thing like if you get two people and you want to do different things, how do you decide what do you do? You know, it's just as simple as that. It's just A, B, and sure, there, I don't know that we've ever really had a great desire to split up. We've never actually thrown in the gauntlet, you know, or, or said, But you know, we've certainly stalled. had plenty of fights. Oh, we've and, had a lot of fights, uh, sure. Uh -huh. and, we have fights all the time. All the time, yeah. yeah. Is it mostly over choices, artistic choices kind of things? or? Well, it's, it's what I said. I mean, it's like... Or directions. If, if we view things from two different sides, which way, who, who, whose way do you go, you know? Right. And right. Um, that's one thing, you know. How do you resolve it? We try both ways and see how it works? I or? give in and do it Tom's way. Sure. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Sure. That, that's what well, always happens. Curiously, what we often do is reverse our stand. That's I right. Mean, like, by the next day, we'll be arguing the other side. Yes. And then the, we still, we're still at a... In still a arguing, but yes. it's completely yeah. the opposite. Yeah, oh, I love it. Uh, I'm going to jump right to 110 The Shade, which was a musical you wrote in 1963 based on uh, playwright N. Richard Nash's work, The Rainmaker. I was just wondering that about the difficulties you probably incurred in, in transposing this piece into a musical. First of all, uh, Richard Dick Nash did the book for 110 years. Right. That's the only show we've done uh, in which I didn't do the book. Right. So that, um, and not only that, but Richard um, uh, not only did the book, but he wrote the original play 
and uh, which made him very attached to the original material. Well, I it's not just that, but I, uh, the, the the point of the matter is that there was a uh, in 110. It was a unique experience for us to really, in fact, just be bringing in the songs. In effect, that was very unusual. That's mm -hmm. that's not the role we normally play. Um, we had a wonderful working relationship with Richard. He was um, very uh, perceptive. Also, we, we yes, he he was really terribly important in shaping the score. I, it was really nice to be able to play things for him, and uh, knowing the play inwardly and outwardly as well as he did. Right. It was a real great uh, framing device for our work in that way. will be here soon. You going to the picnic? Uh-huh. Maybe it'll be a little cooler out at the park. I sure hope so. Cause it's gonna be another hot day. Yes, it's gonna be another hot day. That's what it said on the radio. 110 degrees. You don't say. That's what it said on the radio. Overhead, the sun is rising, not a cloud across the sky, not a sign on the horizon, and it's gonna be another hot day. It's gonna be another hot day Underneath the earth is burning Crops is bad and land is dry Still the sun keeps on
Not a cloud across the sky, not a sign on the horizon. And it's gonna be another hot day. Yes, it's gonna be another hot day. It's gonna be another Gonna be another scorcher today. Stephen Douglas, leading the original Broadway company of 110 in the Shade, in Gonna Be Another Hot Day, the opening number. You've been listening to part one of a three-part look at the legendary career of Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.